text together. It's a great Christmas text. Stand with me and we'll read um, and you follow along. Galatians chapter 4, 1 through 7. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from the slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardian and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elementary things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Father in heaven, thank you for just a, a beautiful service so far. We, we know that so many have practiced and uh, prepared to sing, Lord. And, and we know that they love you and there's an expression from their hearts, Lord. And Father, this time of year reminds us of this incredible wealth of joy that springs forth from believers. We know that our Savior came. He was our only hope. And yet He just didn't come in the spirit of a man or the spirit of a Savior. He came as a man. Fully God, fully man, as the Savior of the world. And it causes us, Father, to bring to bring great joy from our hearts as we think about that, Lord. As far as the curse is found, Lord, the curse had spread across the globe. And there was only one who could reverse it. That was Jesus. And so Christmas reminds us of that time, the incarnation of our Lord and Savior coming to earth to beat that curse. So with joy we sing, we preach, we look at your word. Because this is salvation. This is how our lives were changed. We praise you for that. Father, we thank you that this holiday, this truth, really, Lord, is is worshipped across the globe. We think of our missionaries around the world. They are celebrating this same truth in many, many different cultures. Because it is Christ who pierced cultures, not holidays. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have claimed people from every walk of life, from every tongue, tribe, and nation, just as you promised. And someday, Lord, your second coming will take place. and You will gather all those around you. And we together will sing the praises unending of your glory, Lord. So we thank you that we had a taste of that this morning, Lord. Reminded us of the goodness of God. May you be praised for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Christmas and God's Forever Family is the title of the sermon today. Uh, it isn't hard to think about Christmas and not think about family. I mean, uh, all, of the, all of us that have had children or you are a child yourself, I, I expect at one time, it is such a great time. 
<laughs> you can remember um, as a youngster uh, thinking about those presents down the hall, <laughs> uh, waking up early and desiring to see what was in those. Truly, Christmas is uh, uh, from just a, a world standpoint of view and a family standpoint of view about the children. We have such a joy in that. But it is about family. I got thinking this week about all of the little ones that have been added to our numbers here to, uh, in Riverbend. I just wanted to go through. This is their first Christmas. Colin Carswell, um, it's his first Christmas. Theo Davis, Judah Michaels, Jack Under, Patient Bartlett, Eli, Eli Ramsaram, Drake uh, Shepherd Cochran, Connor Caliendo, and then the Kellys, the Sheelys, and the Hoffies are all due soon. These are all little ones at it. And I got thinking about that. This is their first Christmas. And they're part of a family um, that they, God has blessed them with. And now they're certainly going to be part of the family of the church as well. So Christmas, when we think about it, is really about giving. It is, it is a gift of the Lord Jesus Christ to humanity. Without him, we were doomed it is the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, adding humanity to his deity. And so the God-man is now on the earth. And think about this as we think about family, these little ones and, and our own family. Think about this. Christmas reminds us this, that God desired to enlarge his family. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, desire to enlarge his family. And so he came to earth. <laughs> he had to make us ready to come into that family. He had to prepare an adoption, prepare a way that could bring us into this perfect family. And really that is what Christmas is about. Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts this morning as we think about this text of what God was doing to make us part of this family. First, the incarnation, the the adding of flesh to the, the divine nature of Jesus reveals our slavery. That's what it does. Notice in verse 1, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from the slave, although he is the owner of everything. So the incarnation first shows us that we are not part of the family. That's why he came. That's why the angel said he will save his people from their sins. See, we understand when we think of Jesus, we realize that we were not part of that forever family. There was a time that we did not know him. This statement here that Paul has in the middle of the book of Galatians is, is, uh, has some culture to it as well. Both the Jewish culture and the Greek culture understood that there, were, there was a way to bring people into a forever family. They would often, as they chose and adopted kids into their life or took their own children, they would attach to them a guardian, one that would watch over them. And you see that in this text, verse 2. But he was under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. And so this, this owner, this man, this wealthy person who would have children under him would place a guardian there, guardian there. And the guardian would keep an eye on the child. He would discipline the child. He would direct the child. He would tell him when to wake up and he would tell him when to go to sleep. He would tell him when to arrive at school and he'd be there 
when he came home to see him home safely. When the child stepped out of line, the guardian was there to put him right back into line. That was the job of the guardian. Now, even though the son, the Bible tells us, would inherit everything from the father, he truly owned nothing at that point. He was under guardianship. So this verse, particularly verse 1 and 2 here, teach us that even though this son, this, this heir, he owned everything, means actually Lord of all, he actually remained in slave status. See, this is why Jesus said, I've come, listen, to set the captives free. Who was he talking about? Was he just talking about somebody else, someone not as good as you? The Bible says he came to set the captives free. And so this word guardian, this is a word that helps us understand that God sent his law to direct us to the Savior. The law was not meant to save you. The law was meant to direct you to Jesus Christ. The law was your guardian. It was to show you you were out of line. Anybody here keep the law perfectly? The Bible says if you break one commandment, you've broken them all. So the law disciplines you and shows you the great character of the Father and tries to keep you in line, but yet we fail at that. Verse 2 tells us that the son's status will change at the Father's appointed time. Notice that. Look at the end of verse 2. We remained under that guardian, that manager, the law, until the date set by the Father. Ooh, I have a date set by the Father. I know when Jesus Christ saved me. He set that date for me to become one who was once a slave to sin, to a slave to God, to a slave to righteousness, to one who would be a son in his own kingdom, ruling and reigning with him. So this slave, the one once under the law, status is status quo until the father grants sonship. This is what he does. So under this system, most often the son probably felt like a slave, and that's important to understand. This is why we still preach on sin. (laughs) Because sin needs a savior. If you don't preach on sin, no one thinks they need a savior. So the law points out our sin. The guardian says, hey, you're not worthy to be in the presence of an almighty God. You need a savior. When we come up against the great law of God, we go, oh, I don't measure up. How will God bring me into his kingdom? See, this is the goal of the law. The law shows us that we are sinners, in fact, that we are slaves to our sin, and we need a sovereign father to release us from that bondage. So many songs, did you hear that as they sang? The captives have been free. He he sets us free from our bondage. That's why the Lord Jesus came And it is because one man fell into sin. Adam fell into sin, our father Adam. And he drug us into that. And we all sinned through Adam. And we all became sinners. But the father in his loving kindness has a providential plan to make us sons. And it was the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The birth of Christ. And he had a plan to take us from a terrible position. A position where we would die in our sins 
to where we would live with him. Just listen to these verses. Many of you know this. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Listen. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intentions of his will, to the praise of his glory of his grace, which we freely bestowed on us in the beloved. See, that's what the incarnation is about. It's Jesus Christ coming to free us. So God the Father has set the date for you. It's the day he opened your eyes and you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone to release you from that slave status to be his son. Paul Paul worships at this. He says, always giving thanks because God chose us from the beginning for salvation. So if you are saved, you are not some spiritual accident. Think about it. When Christ steps out of heaven and he assumes the body, comes in, is placed in the womb of Mary by the Spirit of God, he knows you. He's coming for you. He must become flesh. He must represent you and I. He must live a sinless life. Listen to this. He must fulfill the law or we die under the law. That's Christmas. That's why we so greatly worship and celebrate. So God the Father in his providence and sovereign plan thought of you and he drew you to himself. He did this in his perfect timing, in his perfect way. For a perfect goal of making you his child. Look at verse 3 with me. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage. We're still under the law, right? We're still in the slave status. And look at under the elementary things of the world. The Bible has a habit of reminding us where God brought us from as Christians. Paul is probably in the forefront of these charges. He frequently takes you back to remind you, to remind the believer to worship at a great and living God who can rescue you out of the dominion of darkness. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. He rescues you out of the dominion of darkness and transfers you into the kingdom of the light of his son. What a statement. That's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible also says we were once foolish, deceived, enslaved enslaved to various sins. And so, we remember these things. Have you ever heard the expression, never forget where you came from? Usually it's told maybe by our fathers <laughs> to remind us, son, don't forget where you came from. And don't embarrass me. <laughs> right? Well, the Bible constantly reminds us because it wants to bring us into worship that we should never forget where we came from. When, when Christ comes to the earth, as far as the curse is found, it's covered the earth. It's covered every soul ever conceived. The curse has a complete tight grip on humanity and this world. Don't forget that. Because there was one who had to come who could reverse that curse, who could break its chains that it had on us. And the problem is, we sometimes forget that. Even us Christ followers, we forget that. And you realize it's so important for us to remember that because, number one, it brings us worship. 
But when I forget what I was before Christ, I tend to forget others who are before in Christ, before they have found Christ. So one of the things that keeps us passionate about sharing with the lost, preaching the way we preach, sharing the way we share, is because we remember we were under that curse. Have you forgot that? Or maybe you're here and you don't even know you're under a curse. God's word is clearly telling us we had no hope. Our life was going to come to a, an eternal destiny of end if it wasn't for God sending his son to do what we could not do. So God, help us. Help me to remember the grace and mercy so I can extend that grace and that message to others. Notice the Bible says the elementary principles, verse 3, held in bondage under the elementary principles. You might say, Scott, I don't feel like I'm cursed. I have a pretty good life. Raise some good kids. I make some good money. I don't feel cursed. Well, it's the elementary principles of the world that keep you cursed often. You're a good person. You do good things. See, these are the elementary principles of the world that, that teach you, try to train you away from needing a Savior. In fact, you would look around the world and you would begin to say, well, we're not like those people. See, you're held often, people are often held under that bondage. Oh, the, the, the people who came and walked with Christ during his ministry for those three years on the earth as he started his ministry and worked his way to the cross, they were some of the, the best people society could put forth on the outside. They did all the right things, they ate all the right foods, they sat with all the right people, they said all the right things. And yet Jesus said they were deceived and they were of their father, the liar. And so the elementary principles of the world are there to deceive you. They're there to help you not understand that you are under a curse. Have you heard things like this? We are all just God's children. You'll hear that all the time. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We're not all God's children. It is only those who place their faith alone in Christ Jesus that belong to him. All other will fall under the judgment of God. You'll be measured up against the law of God, the perfect character and standard of God, and you will fail and you will be condemned. It is only those who bend the knee humbly before God and plead with him for salvation. It is that babe that came to the earth that can offer that. The principles of the, are rooted in the worldly philosophy. Be a good person and good things will happen to you. And that's why people are so shocked when bad things happen to, quote, good people. The whole premise is wrong. We are affected by sin. When somebody dies or gets cancer or a plane goes down or whatever it may be is all a result of sin. And this child that we worship this, this week in the incarnation of Christ, is the only one who could reverse that. Both Jews and Gentile traditions had law-keeping. And all of us have a law unto ourselves. It's written on our heart. But it is only the Lord Jesus Christ who, who can come and give us grace that we can be saved through it. It is only there that we receive faith 
then we realize that it's not of yourself. It is the gift of God. What a great term for this time of year. Salvation is the gift of God. You could wrap everything you want and put it under the tree. Nothing measures. Nothing measures close to the gift of God. Salvation through Jesus Christ alone. So people get saved when they come to the end of themselves, not through themselves. You understand that? People get saved when they come to the end of themselves and not through themselves. When you come to the end of yourself, that's where God has brought you, and you look to his son for salvation. Second thought, the incarnation makes slaves son. Look at sons. Look at this verse 4 and 5. This is the highlight of this text here. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So that, why? You go, why? Verse 5, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. See, we needed our position changed. (laughs) Status quo was not going to work. If God leaves you in status quo, you will go to hell. (laughs) I will. Because that's what we deserve. We're all sinners. The Bible says we're all sinners. The wages of sin is death. This is, this is what result of sin is. So he must change our position. There's no hope if we're left in that state. And from the beginning, now think about this, God has set forth a date to rescue his, for, his forever family. He sets forth dates. He chose this date before the foundations of the world. It says the fullness of time. So God planned. He planned to take slaves and make them sons. <laughs> Isn't that good news? He wants us to be followers of him. And this is the fullness of time. He laid down from the foundation of the world, I will redeem. Now, think also some practical things that God was doing. This nation of Israel had been captive They had walked through captivity through the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes, Persians, Greeks, and now the Romans. They had worshipped idols and abandoned the one true God, and they were under judgment. And really still lie under judgment to this day. But, think about some of the things that were going on. Rome had brought somewhat of peace to the world. Synagogues and schools were being built. They were now being able to worship and teach in those places. Christ, we often see him teaching and doing miracles in the synagogues. The apostles go there and preach Christ and are thrown into jail for it. The Roman culture now has embraced the Greek language. The Greek language is spreading across the world. The Bible is being prepared to be written, the New Testament, in that language. Rome has made its way across the developed world, putting bridges and roads so that the gospel can go forth. So, so our ancestors, our, most of us Gentile ancestors, would hear the message of the gospel. And so not only was it God's perfect timing and plan, he was orchestrating the world to receive a Savior at the right time, the right place, the right moment, so the gospel would go forward. So you and I would hear it. And here comes Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, you can see the word picture here. Therefore, he comes into the world, he says. When he comes into the world, he says. So who's he talking to? Well, he must be speaking with the Father. He says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you prepared for me. God's 
purpose was never to bring you through the law. He knew you couldn't keep it. He knew you were a sinner. So, so here Jesus says, look, sacrifice and offering was not the way to you. Man can't do that. So I'll be the sacrifice. I'll be the thing that they couldn't do. That's what Jesus is saying. I'll step out of heaven. I'll accept that body you have prepared for me. I'll take on humanity with all of its problems and difficulties. I'll walk a life for 33 years in perfection. I'll be the one that you will receive on their behalf. See, that's Christmas. That's Christmas. And he did this. Philippians says, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God, with God something to be grasped or something to hang on to. So he veils his deity. He dresses himself in humanity. He humbles himself even to the point of death, the death of a cross. All so you and I would know the Lord Jesus, know the Father through Jesus Christ. But he is no less than God. Remember that. The world makes Jesus out to be a martyr, to be a good example to mankind. He is God. Hebrews 1.3 says he is the exact representation. He is the radiance of his glory. He's God. And Jesus, even the night before his death, said, Oh, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory we had before the world was. This is our Savior. This is the Savior of the world. And this is who we worship. Notice it says in verse 4, born of a woman. This is not a reference to the virgin birth, although it was a miraculous conception. He was born of a woman. And I love this because he's like you and I. In fact, the Bible says in Jesus' own words, so he could call us brethren. He represents you and I. He, he's our representative. He's our human representative before God. It's his blood that he brings before the Father and says, will that do for all of those you've set a date for? That's an amazing thought. All happening in this manger, all of this set before him. There's much more beyond Bethlehem, isn't there? But everything had to start there on the earth. This babe had to come. Born under the law, just like us, he was born truly under the law, wasn't he? The law wouldn't bend. The law didn't say, well, you're Jesus, you can break a few. <laughs> no, he's born under the law. So all that the law had, all of the difficulty to keep it, all of the, the, the standards that were set by the law, you know what the Lord Jesus did? Fulfilled them perfectly. Never missed one. He was perfect in all of those things. If you break one, you've broke them all, the Bible says. So I think we're all guilty when it comes to the law. But listen to what Jesus said he was going to do. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. The Bible says further, it goes, or the prophets, I did not come to abolish but to fulfill the law. So think about this for just a moment. He had to conform to the law. He had to keep the law perfectly so he could then die for us so he could redeem all of those who are guilty under the law. Wow. So born of a woman, born under the law. You can never tell Jesus you don't understand how hard this life is. 
You can't tell him that. He kept every commandment of God perfectly. That's uneasy. All the temptations that came, the Bible says he was tempted in every way. Here's one of my favorite verses. Just mark this down and go study this another day. Romans 10, 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We have a lot of law keepers who come through the church or come talk to us and say, well, you got to do this. And I said, you know, keeping God's law and following his principles are a good thing. But Jesus fulfilled that for me. And it's my love for him that causes me to want to walk with him now, to please him. Jesus is the end of the law. The Bible says that Christ is the end of the law for what? For the righteousness. So you can stand right before God. You want to try to be right before God on your own? Ooh. Good luck with that. Because you're going to need more than luck. You'll find yourself in condemnation. But there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so he is the end of the law. Look at verse 5, the result of this. So, so, so that, the reason that he's, he's sent by God in the fullness of time, and he comes forth as his son, born of a woman, born in a law, here's the reason, so that he might redeem you. Purchase you. You had to be bought. Remember we talked about the slave is under the guardianship? The slave has to be purchased by God. And he had to purchase him through his own son. Because we were under the law. We were kept there. We were subdued by it. And the reason was he wanted to bring us into sonship. Notice this word adoption. It refers to a man giving status of sonship to someone who is not his natural born child. Ephesians 2, 4 says we were by nature children of wrath. So that's the opposite of being children of God. You're children of wrath. You deserve his wrath. God gives us his grace. That's what adoption's about. So if you're a Christian in here, you've been adopted into the forever family of God through Jesus Christ alone. And that's what he's saying here. I think this is why Christians love adoption. I think this is why Christians love Christmas. It's because it's an earthly reminder of our own salvation. So we were naturally not God's child, but now by God's divine, uh, divine pursuit of us, he adopts us in through the incarnation, the work of Christ from cradle to cross to make us his son, his daughter. So the word of God is clearly telling us that Jesus, who is fully God, add it to his nature humanity in order to save a bunch of slaves and make them his children. And it starts with Christmas. It starts with the incarnation. It starts with a baby that a woman held in her hand and pondered what all of this meant. We get to see the whole story, don't we? She pondered of what God was going to do. What a gift. Third and last thought here. The incarnation is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> because the incarnation leads to the cross, there's just endless gifts. Look with me at verse 6. Because you are now sons or children, sons and daughters, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into our hearts. This is why, you know, the phrase, do you believe in Jesus with all your heart? 
You get asked that question. Now that's something we believe the scriptures teach that God has to do. He has to open your heart for that. But, but notice it's not some physical thing. He's, he's talking about a spiritual relationship with God. He says, God sent forth his spirit of his son into our hearts. Not our outside, not dress right, eat right, do right. He sends the spirit of Christ into your heart to change you from the inside out. And then your desires begin to change. You begin to desire to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christmas reminds us of this. Think about this. No human father can do this. Dads can only pass down our sin nature to our sons and daughters. Unfortunately, kids, we didn't give you salvation. We actually gave you death. <laughs> because we were sinners, we passed that on to you. But Jesus comes to undo what your dads have done. And I praise the Lord for him. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, my sons would be separated from me and the Father for all of eternity. See, Jesus comes and undoes what man has done. That's why they call him the second Adam. The first Adam plunged us into sin. The second Adam comes along and says, I'll reverse that. I'll live a perfect life. I'll die a perfect death. I'll pick my blood in front of the Father. He'll accept that and you'll be forgiven. All starts in the cradle. So God changes our nature and he gives us his own nature by sending his spirit into our, uh, into our hearts. 2 Peter 1, 4 says, we are divine partakers of the Godhead. That's what he does. He gives us his spirit to reside continually in us. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit, who is our pledge of our inheritance. You want to know you're going to heaven? He gave you the spirit to understand that. If you have the spirit, you're convicted of sin. You believe the Bible. You love God. You devote your life to him. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit spotlights the work of our Heavenly Father and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he does. And so he gave us that as an inheritance. It's the greatest inheritance you can ever have. There's no money. There's no material. There's nothing that can match the fact that a saved person has the Spirit of God within him. Because it is your guaranteed step that God has approved you through the Lord Jesus Christ and you walk into heaven with that stamp. That's the Spirit of God. So you want to think about a gift? Come to know Jesus Christ. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Just finally, look at these last beautiful words here um, as we roll down into verse 7. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So God gives a gift of intimacy here. Intimacy with the father. Sweet relation between son and daughter and the father. In fact, there are times we go through difficulties. We even fall into sin. And here the Bible says this great gift that he's given us through Jesus Christ coming to this earth, being born in a cradle and went to a cross. We have the Spirit of Christ so that you and I as believers can cry out and say, Abba, Father. It is an intimate, 
endearing term. It's Arabic. It, it, it spoke of a papa or a daddy. It's that type of relationship. No fear in it. There's no fear in it. This is why the world struggles and they got to come up with the different ways to get to God through, through Mary and saints and others because they're afraid of God. Not a Christian. He's our Abba Father. He's endeared to us. And we walk into His presence at any time, no matter where you're at, and you can speak to Him. And you can confess your sins and tell Him how much you love Him and ask Him for help. Because He's a Father that never will fail you. And this is all the result of one who came to a cradle, worked his way to a cross, so you can have this. I promise you, the law cannot do this. The guardian was never meant to save you. The guardian was only meant to drive you to Jesus Christ. Verse 7 is, is this great gift. You're no longer a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're no longer just any son, but you have a full inheritance. You're joint heirs with Jesus. You're part of God's forever family because Jesus came to the earth. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. And we thank him for those things. Finally, just in conclusion, Christian, if you're a believer in here today, Christmas is a supernatural thing for us, isn't it? It's amazing. The God who spoke creation into the earth is in the cradle. <laughs> we know that because later, as we've studied in Mark, he stands up in a boat and rebukes his creation, and it instantly obeys him. The demonic world obeys him. The, the natural world obeys him. The creator's in the creator. The, creator's in the creator is in the cradle. Gift. He is a gift. And if you're a Christian here today, you know you received a gift that is um, almost beyond your imagination when you think of what Jesus has done for us. And the true meaning of Christmas follows us year-round. It's not something that we just say, oh, wow, it's Christmas time, let's talk about Jesus coming. We talk about Jesus coming all the time because he's captured us. Friend, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, Christmas will soon fade away. It won't be more than the 26th, 27th, and you'll be wanting to get that tree out and your mind will be consumed by work and whatever else. And we as Christians struggle with that as well, but you won't have anything to fall back on. And it'll soon disappear, and the elementary things of life will once again sweep you away. I promise you that's what will happen. But as the song says, for, 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 fall on your knees and hear the angels' voices. See, the angels' voices, that beautiful evening when Christ was born were pointing to the only one you could have peace through. Fall on your knees. Hear the angels' voices. They're pointing to Jesus. There's no other way. You want peace? You want eternal prosperity? Jesus is your only hope. And so I would plead with you that you would receive the gift of salvation today. God would open your heart. Christians, rejoice. Our Savior came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and he's waiting for us. Amen? Father, thank you for such a sweet time this morning.
We've enjoyed time hearing voices that you gave, little children, and all the way to older men and women. Blessed people with able to play instruments. And, and our hearts were encouraged and knitted together as we heard the songs of truth sang this morning. This truly is a supernatural time. It is Jesus coming to earth so he could die for us. And then, Lord, we broke forth your word. We looked at what you have to say about life and death and eternity, about those who belong to you and those who don't. Your word taught us that this morning. What more could we ask for Christmas than worship with a pure heart? So, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we could be challenged and encouraged we thank you for family this morning. So as we started, Lord, so many new little ones that you designed to come into this world and now are held in their mother and father's arms, Lord, even as I speak. But Lord, that is a reminder that you set a date for us. There was a date we were going to come out from under the guardian, come out from underneath the condemnation of the law, and be received by you free from our sins, free from the slavery of those sins. And now, children, adopted children into your family. Lord, we marvel, we marvel at the fact that you did that. And you did it all through the incarnation. A babe laying in a cradle who lived a sinless life and died a perfect death for us beat death, rose from the grave, and now is ascended on high. And will some come, sometime soon, come and get his forever family, and we will spend eternity together, Lord. Lord, we praise you for these things, Lord. Hear our worship today. Hear our hearts, Lord, as we hail you, King of kings, Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen.